Hi, this is Jeff Langston. Welcome to our Releasing Potential podcast. Here, music industry experts share their experiences of working in the industry, including their tips to support your journey of turning your passion for music into a business. And today I am delighted to welcome Jules Arreardon. Hi, Jules. How are you today? Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. Very good indeed. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Uh, perhaps we can start off by you giving us a, a, a quick journey of your uh, time in the music industry, a quick sort of synopsis of your journey. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, it's difficult to give a quick synopsis because I've been doing this yeah. for quite some time now. And I started unusually young um, as a promoter of uh, events and then illegal raves when I was 16 um, and um, evolved into basically my, my, my background is as a DJ under the name Judge Jules. I should point out that I am not a judge. Uh, it's purely a moniker and like all good uh, artistic monikers, it was given to me by my mates as opposed to me sort of sitting on a park bench one day and thinking oh I fancy calling myself this um I think all good names should kind of evolve and suddenly uh, you've got them without even realizing you've got them yeah. um that so so I suppose there've been different lanes to my career in the music business um the DJ lane has taken me sort of in parallel through clubs and festivals and radio so dealing with the radio I started um in the late 80s on pirate radio and then when Kiss FM became legal in uh, the early 90s I was their sort of Friday Saturday night presenter for uh, six or seven years I was then taken on board by Radio One uh, where I was for 15 years um, since stopping being on Radio One I do a syndicated radio show and podcast and do it in a more if you like a more 2021 fashion where you can get it on every platform imaginable and it does really quite well um, so that's that's the radio side. I mean, as a club DJ, um, supported by what one would do uh, in order to kind of embellish one's name and brand build, um, I have done over 5,000 gigs in wow. 60 plus different countries. Um, gigs ranging in size from one man and his dog to a million people in the shape of the Berlin Love Parade in its heyday. Um, I have made loads of records. I mean, I've, if, if you include remixes, I must have released two to 300 records, three or four artist albums, um, DJ mix compilations. In the real heyday of DJ mix compilations, probably selling between three and five million physical units. Um, I've been a manager. Uh, I was a promoter uh, and still am a sort of semi-promoter in Ibiza for 20 right. years. Um, run setting up a sort of branded club nights orientating around my name and my DJ friends and for the last 10 years it sounds like a strange uh, for the last 10 years it sounds like a strange uh, departure but actually I think I consider it quite a quite a, a sensible um, parallel career I've been a specialist music lawyer now a partner at Sound Advice in Tile Yard, Tile Yard being probably the biggest enclave of music related businesses in the um, in the world. Mm. Um, uh, I look after lots of artists and then do, uh, I mean, I, I, I've got kind of clients who do every, any conceivable manner of different things within the music business, obviously mm. many of whom are artists, but not all. Um, so so I've kind of got a, a day job, if you like now, and, and mm. a night job, although COVID has slightly put paid to the, the, the gigging side of what Indeed, I yeah. was doing, although um, the diary remains very full. I mean, I would have, in 2020, I would have done 110 DJ shows. Um, mm. 
I ended up being probably one of the lucky ones who did between about 15 and 20 with the socially distanced events and the stuff I did before lockdown. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting back to that. And it's a, it's a lovely, um, I don't know, it's a very pretentious way of describing it, but, but, but forgive me my indulgence when I say it's almost do, yeah. letting the, letting the uh, if you like, both sides of your brain work in, uh, in harmony with one another, the kind of creative yeah. side and, and the slightly more sort of scientific analytical side. That's, uh, that is a, an amazing journey, Jules, and you have covered such a lot. Just just one question uh, about your, your move into uh, the law. Is that something that you were thinking about for some time or you were you've, it, it just came upon you? What, what was that? How did that move come about? Well, I got a degree in law when I was 21. Uh, I okay. went to LT and studied law, but I was very yeah. much in the thick of DJing by the time I graduated. Mm. Um, so it gave me the advantage of having a law degree. But um, by mm. the time I actually went back into being a lawyer, it was so out of date. Uh, yeah. I needed to do it again. So I've actually got two law degrees, bizarrely. Um, mm. I, I think in my case, um, it's very important to be mindful of the fact that you... Uh, I, I think there are very, very, very few people in the music industry who start off in their kind of career doing one thing and do that for the, the entirety of their time in the music industry. People, people more, you know, you've got a couple of rare exceptions of people who are in sort of heritage bands have been doing it since we were, we were kind of sperm and eggs. <laughs> the reality is that you, you need to have some sort of evolutionary end game. And if you're sort of a bit sensible and boring like me, um, I can't, and, and also I was part of a generation of DJs who were the first DJs to be kind of crowd pullers in their own right. Mm. Therefore, as opposed to being just perceived to be those that uh, just, I don't know, just people who play other people's records. Yeah. Um, you know, DJing is, is, is now and has for quite a while been acknowledged as being an artistic form in its own right. But yeah. um, because I was one of the first, there weren't really, I mean, there's a handful of people older than me to, to act as role models in terms of yeah. what happens when you get into your 50s or your 40s even. But I simply yeah. had no means of knowing what what career or life or anything else held, held in store. And I yeah. um, was lucky enough to be somebody who is a bit boring and didn't mind <laughs> And uh, didn't you certainly mind. don't give the impression that you're boring based on that well, career, George. <laughs> uh, prepare, to, prepare to pick up some books instead of bottles of vodka, let's say. Um, okay. And so I always kind of knew that there had to be something beyond DJing. And, and the reality is, that not, if it wasn't for COVID, and indeed, I've got loads of bookings in the diary when COVID does eventually end, whether it ends on the, the date it's supposed to, that, that great June the 21st, we will yeah. get launched out into... <laughs> a big hug fest in the field or whether it takes a bit longer than that i've got yeah. loads of gigs in the in the diary that'll either happen then or they'll be postponed a little bit further so yeah. it's a very it's been a very buoyant time for me dj wise but i didn't really that wasn't the plan i thought there would be a nice you know pardon my dj parlance but there'd be a nice crossfade between careers yeah. um as one uh, sort of track of my career disappeared and another one sort of came into prominence in the yeah. in the eq mix but actually they're both kind of coexisting in the mix now if you pardon yeah. my very cheesy yeah. use of, it, of kind of dj imagery good, um, good good analogy good analogy so you you've you've talked about all the different roles you've had in the music industry so so for, for people listening that are passionate about music but they're not sure sort of where they want to go or how they want to get there what, what would be your thoughts on that what would you be saying to them 
you've got to have some idea about where a starting point is, but you can't. Um, I mean, interestingly, um, I've got lots of lots of my peers when I first started DJing, um, when I was in my sort of late teens and early twenties, um, are no longer DJs. And I mean, the vast majority of them are no longer DJs, but an awful lot of them morphed into other roles within the music business, whether it was kind of A&R, setting up labels, um, setting up club promotion businesses, being involved in businesses that did any of the, of the aforementioned. Um, but I guess you need a starting point and that's, um, you can't simply sort of rattle around knocking on doors saying, give us a job, mate. I mean, maybe if you're a brilliant speaker, you can, you can <laughs> knock on a few doors and say, give us yeah. a job. But the reality is you want some element of an idea about where your starting position is. Mm. And that starting and that starting position has got to come from the heart really, because yeah. the one thing about the music business, and one of my, the things I constantly have to sort of remind myself about is it's, you know, there are two words in that little phrase and it's, and it's really, really important to focus on the first word more than the second word. And remember that you're in it for the love of the music. And if you, and if you follow your heart, um, meanwhile being as business savvy as you possibly can, then hopefully it will kind of lead you in the right direction. So I can't really tell somebody who wants to be in the music business to go and do such and such a thing without no you know every there is a different bespoke solution to everybody who aspires to make a full-time living out of music so a bit of exploration as you've done because you talked about uh, promoting and managing and djing so just have a little dabble about yeah, and see, I mean, DIY culture you. is really important i mean it's yeah. one thing being in the business of music but if you want to be an artist then whether you want to be a in a band, be a be a musician, be a DJ, be any of the, any of the above, you need to. You've just got to be good at DIY brand building, and which is certainly easier said than done because the volume of releases every week on Spotify. Even though I've had it quoted to me on multiple occasions, I still sort of I'm left open mouth like a Venus flytrap when I hear just how many releases there are every every day on Spotify. So that the, so that the degree of competition, um, you know, it's much more difficult to see um, see. Well, pardon the kind of analogy, pardon the pun, but to see a particular artist through the noise that is the volume of tracks at any given time. But if that's your aspiration to be an artist, you've got to work out a means of doing it. And um, there are, I, I mean, I, there are some generic bits of advice that one can give, of course, um, but actually you, you've got to be absolutely in it, absolutely yeah. absorbed in it, which is why I keep, why I think it's important to focus on the music element of the music business, because unless you're, coming into it from a point of absolute passion and, and absorption yeah. you probably won't be able to do that brand building thing that's that's so important yeah so start off from a point of passion and which i think most people i talk to in the music industry that's where it all comes from it comes inside the heart and then work out where it is that you want to end up uh, in due course by the sound of it yeah i mean the problem is i think you need to be almost weirdly passionate about it i don't you know it's it, it, to, to the extent of obsession um yeah. and you can think oh i like music and i really want to be this is this is the world i want to enter but you've got to be more it's got to be more than want it's got to be obsession yeah. okay i'll take that as a, as a really good tip brilliant uh with your lawyer hat on um very often the perception of working with a lawyer is it's prohibitively expensive. I wouldn't know where to go. Uh, where do I start? I guess 
the, the the main question is when when would somebody start or what stage in somebody's career would they need to start working with a lawyer whether a singer a songwriter a publisher or whatever what's sort of the turning point where you might need a lawyer if anybody thrusts a bit of paper on in front of you and says sign it ultimately it doesn't yeah. matter what that bit of paper is um i can only speak for myself and the the, the um, specialist music lawyers that i know best but I'm, I will always pick up the phone, yeah, as long as it doesn't sound like a complete, uh, dare I say, idiot, but you, which, which they wouldn't be if they, if they rooted you out and found you. But yeah. I will always pick up the phone and have a sort of a call with, or, or even multiple calls with somebody I really think sounds quite special without charge. That's just, right. um, I, I, I feel that I owe that to the, to the world to, or to the music world to do that. Um, so, but yeah, don't, I mean, I'm constantly dealing with artists who've signed things they shouldn't have signed because they were so desperate to, to, it's almost like, I don't know, using a sports analogy. Uh, well, maybe I should explain that. Um, the fact that you've signed or a label is interested in signing you is really the very first step of a multi-step uh, career process. Uh, and a lot of people which are just so overjoyed and feel that the you know, that Christmas has come all at once when they get yeah. offered a deal by the sort of label that they want to be signed to, that they don't get advice on it. They just sign things regardless. And it's a, and it's a big mistake because the, the, I, I represent a lot of labels who are run by very dedicated um, people who I believe in, who nevertheless, the first contract they, they give out might not be the best contract in the world because they just assume that it's the first foray into a, a back and forth negotiation about the commercial terms right. for something. Um, right. So yeah, please don't just sign the first thing that gets thrust in front of you. Okay, so when you get that first piece of paper with a uh, sign here on it, just hold back and uh, just have an informal chat with somebody in the first instance. Somebody yeah, like and I, don't think you, I don't think you would struggle to find somebody who'd be prepared to do that on an informal basis. Okay, fantastic. And thinking in particular about uh singer songwriters uh there's there's a lot of press about copyright uh in fact we were introduced through uh through Haley, who's uh, who's written a book about copyright and uh at the moment in the states there's an issue around uh, songwriters retaining what's rightfully theirs in terms of copyright uh what what's your what's the biggest challenge that songwriters face in terms of keeping what is theirs and what should they be doing? It's, it's a very difficult question where if you're talking songwriters and you're not talking recording rights, because of course there's two separate copyrights. You've got the copyright in a recording and you've got the copyright in a song. And if you are co-writing a song, um, it's, a, it's very much on the facts, assuming you write, you, you know, you're writing it one or more other people, it's very much on the facts what your, um, what you should be entitled to as a share of that song. Uh, I mean, I could highlight certain kind of common themes, like for example, in electronic music or in black UK black music, there is often somebody who creates the backing track and somebody who yeah. creates the top line. And typically the uh, division in kind of sh sh splits or shares as they're otherwise known of those songs will be divided between th those involved in the, in the backing track and those involved in the top line. Um, yeah. But it's very difficult. You can't give a one size fits all answer. But I think the 
The biggest issue really is that you sit in a studio and I've, I've spent almost as many hours in the studio in my lifetime as I have in my office as a lawyer. So I understand the dynamic of working together in a studio where you're just vibing and you're buzzing and you're trying to create a great track and then having a really sort of hard nosed conversation about the business elements of it, um, it don't really go hand in hand. So, so it will be unrealistic of me to suggest that you should be waving a piece of paper in front of the, your co-songwriters at the end of a session saying, you know, how much do you think we're all entitled to? But if you then leave it too long, um, you are inviting yourself um, for a fall because really the weakest parties generally end up with the poorest shares because you, mm. as time wears on, arguably your bargaining position deteriorates. Yeah. So thinking about the splits and shares, uh, I, I, I was on a podcast with somebody recently and they were talking about let's have the difficult conversations up front. So perhaps talking about splits and shares is something that happens early on in whatever the collaboration is. Would, would that be something that you think is the right? Well, approach? I think it depends on that's that sounds that sounds fabulous in theory, but it depends mm. on the parity of bargaining, bargaining position, mm. because if one party's got a manager, and one party doesn't. The manager can do all, say all the nasty stuff and leave their artist looking like the the the, 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 the nice creative. Whereas if, yeah. if the other party doesn't, and they're a bit more uncomfortable negotiating, it doesn't really matter when you have the conversation, whether it's before or after. It's mm. still going to be a more difficult conversation with bargaining power not equal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much for that and for all your. Uh, great information tips and hints uh, a couple of final tips and hints if we could please uh, first of all what would be your your number one top tip for building a career in the music industry and i know that's a challenge but what are your thoughts well if you want to be an artist um i'll, I'll narrow this down to being an artist because obviously there are okay. many there are, for every one artist job there are probably 10 to 20 uh, sort of backroom positions of varying degrees of skill and and kind of seniority but if you want to be an artist know what lane you inhabit know the world you inhabit and yeah. don't be afraid to if you like ride on the coattails of the style leading artists in your in your particular lane and aspire and be pretty sort of in your own mind anyway pretty blunt about it you know mm. you want the fans of the style leaders in your lane to be into to, to, to be into you you're, if you like you're borrowing from their library of fans yeah. uh, here's hoping some of them will stick with you and i and actually if you look at many successful recording artists that would if you if you analyze it in my slightly dumbed down fashion um, yeah. that would apply right okay so uh for instance where an artist gets a good support slot with somebody that fits with their aspirations yeah i mean i think that's a um i think that's a way of doing it but i think that's rather an old school way of doing it i think it's more um you know it's it's it's, it's more it goes deeper than that because sometimes support slots are kind of bought and they're not you can see some quite incongruous support acts um, working with the headline artist. No, it's more it's it's more having a deep rooted understanding of the ecosystem of the of the style leaders of the lane you're in. So whether it's right. understanding what playlist, yeah, it's, it's everything. It's knowing what playlists are important, what radio presenters are important, what labels are important, um, what producers are important, what what shows are important, and just living that world. Um, and if you live that world long enough. It, I mean, there were, there were many stories in, in, in the past um, 
demonstrating that point. I mean, if you, I, I won't go into any detail about it, and I, I want to sound relevant rather than necessarily citing things from the past, but if you look at Noel Gallagher's life story, it's a really good example of that. Of somebody who lived as a roadie, lived, lived that in the world, lived in the ecosystem, and then forged his own position in that ecosystem. But there are many, many more recent examples than that as well. Fantastic. That's a really, really good tip. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, a top tip for keeping physically and mentally fit in this industry, which can be a little bit relentless sometimes. Well, I think, um, I don't know, it's difficult to be generic uh, in responding to that question. I mean, I'm male and um, I think there's, there's certainly more of an issue uh, requiring talking about in, in terms of male mental health. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's an issue in relation to mental health all over, but I think that when where guys are concerned, they're very poor at talking about things with one another and unloading on one another. And um, historically, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the charity Calm, um, I do, which yeah. is predominantly yeah, aimed in the direction of, of men uh, with a sort of music bias. Um, but but just talk about, talk, open up, talk about things to people. Don't be ashamed. And I know, you know it's easy for me, who's somebody a bit old, who's a bit older to say that and much more difficult for a young guy who's less confident in their own shoes, less confident about their position in the world, both mm. in the music business and arguably in the world as a whole. But actually the ability to open up and just talk and just um, unload, if you like, is yeah. hugely important to mental health. Brilliant. And we will, I'll put some links in the episode notes to uh, some of uh, some of your, uh, some of the things that are going on for you at the moment. And I'll also, we'll also put a link in there to Calm. So uh, thanks very much for that. And it sort of takes us to uh, what you have got coming up. You said that you've got uh, All Being Well uh, after June, you've got some, some gigs coming up. So uh, what's coming up? And if somebody wants to reach out to you, where's, where's the best place? Well, on, on the artistic side, I've got a whole stack of gigs and my website for there is judgejewels.net. Um, there are, I mean, pretty much from the end of June onwards, gigs, well, a couple of gigs every weekend for the foreseeable future, really. Um, on the other hand, if, um, if you want to reach out to me in my legal guise, um, which, you know, as long as you're coming to me with something quite sensible, I'm more than happy to... To sort, sort out a phone call or to or to discuss it's you can just find me via my my firm which is sound advice um there's only one sound advice law firm in uh, certainly in london specialist music firm we're based in king's cross and dare i say it we know a thing or two about the world of music uh, you anyway. you you certainly do it's been it's been absolutely fascinating and thanks very much for your time your input and all that great advice that you've uh, put out there to people listening so uh for people listening at the moment watch out for the next episode of releasing potential coming soon and once again thanks very much to jules o'reardon for today's podcast thank you thank you for inviting me jeff cheers thank you